All right, John chapter 10. We're going to read the first seven verses. And the subject this morning is, how would we know genuine sheep and how would we know a genuine under-shepherd? We live in a world of false teachers, don't we? How would we know what is genuine from what is false? So let's begin reading John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the you there, if you don't have that in your Bibles, is the Pharisees that are mentioned in verse 40 of the previous chapter. So he's addressing the false teachers. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same or that man is a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spoke Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spoke unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. We have come out of a chapter in John chapter 9 where our Lord has given spiritual illumination and physical illumination to a blind man. And that blind man has come to realize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Son of God made flesh in the man, Jesus Christ. And He acknowledges that, and our Lord speaks to him. And in chapter 9, in verse 38, He falls down and He worships Him, and the Lord accepts the worship. Angels will never accept the worship. God called men and believers will never accept the worship but He accepts the worship. And in the midst of all that, not only do we have physical and spiritual sight being given to a blind man, but we have spiritual sight being taken away from the religious leaders of the day. They were blind, and they were getting more blind. And of course, as we go through the chapter, we see that blinding. And the Pharisees who were blind actually cast 
this blind man out of their system of religion. They cast him out of Judaism. They excommunicate him, if we want to call it that. But the Lord, who is the capital S shepherd of the sheep, he takes that man into his fold. And so when we look at John chapter 10 and we look at these 18, these first 18 verses here, what we are seeing is our Lord describing to us the Great Shepherd, capital S, and He is also going to describe under-shepherds, lowercase s. And so when we look at these First six verses here, those verses are a parable unto themselves. They are being given to the Pharisees and to those who are hearing what Jesus has to say. And then in verses 7 through 18, he's not explaining the parable that he's given. He's actually moved on to something else And he's going to describe three aspects of shepherding. One, he's going to talk about the door or the gate. And he's going to say, of course, verse 9, I am the what? I am the door. I am the gate. Then in verses 11 through 18, he's going to talk about what he does as the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the great shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known of mine. He's going to talk about his own capital S being the shepherd and what a true capital S shepherd does. And then in verses 26 through 30, he's going to talk about sheep. All three of those are aspects of shepherding. And it is those aspects that we want to look at here this morning. There are men, just as in Jesus' day, who claim to be be representatives of the Lord to His professing people. And there are men who claim to be representing the Lord who are the God-chosen shepherds, under-shepherds, of which God has sent to His professing people. The false shepherds He calls thieves and robbers. And of course, when we're talking about a thief... What we're talking about is someone who comes and steals from you, right? But they do it by stealth or by deception. In other words, when you think about a thief, you don't think about somebody who like knocks on your door. Hello, who are you? I'm a thief. May I come in and take your stuff? What you think about is someone breaking into your house in the middle of the, of the night, right? He's coming there 
by deception to rob from you. That's a thief. Judas was called a thief. He pretended to be a believer, didn't he? But all the while, he's going to the Pharisees and he's plotting on how to betray Jesus. Do you recall when he did that? In the night. And those Pharisees were entirely approving of this because they themselves were thieves. But there were also robbers. And folks, when you think about a robber, you think about somebody who takes what you have by force. Right? If Judas was a thief, and he was, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas was the one of whom they said, give us this man. Crucify Jesus, but give us this man. This man led a gang and they would forcefully accost people on the way and they would take their goods by violence. And of course there were those among the Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians, the rulers of that day, that were thieves and that there were those who actually took it by force. They were robbers. And usually what you find eventually is that the thieves and the robbers find each other. And they join in on a common cause. And that's exactly what you had in that day. And folks, I want to say this very plainly, what you already know. Jesus is not a thief. What we know about Him is all written down. It's public. It's verifiable. It has centuries upon centuries of confirmation and study. And He's not a robber. He doesn't come to us and rob what we have by Violence. Both of those attributes, violence and deceit, are not characteristics of God. They are characteristics of the devil. And so in John chapter 10, when our Lord Himself... turns and he speaks to these men, I say unto you, chapter 10 verse 1, he's talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, those who were leaders, rulers, of which the Old Testament called them shepherds. He speaks to them and he says, if you don't enter in by the door, you climb up some other way, you, that person who does that is a thief and a robber. So I have the message this morning divided up into two sections. One, the characteristics 
of a true under-shepherd. And secondly, the characteristics of a true sheep. Number one. What are the characteristics of a true under-shepherd? First of all, a true under-shepherd enters the door by Christ. And you'll see that, look in chapter 10 and verse 2. But in contrast to the thieves and robbers, he that enters in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. They enter in by the door. What is the door? Well, look at verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door. I am the door of the sheep. All that came before me are thieves and robbers. But a true under-shepherd, lowercase s, enters into the sheepfold by the door. Now folks, it is interesting, isn't it, that the very first characteristic of an under-shepherd is that they must be saved. They must be saved. Now today, we're here in America. It's 2023. Today, in our culture, it's almost impossible to find someone who says they're lost. And the further south you go, the more predominant that is. I've dealt with a lot of people in close to 40 years of ministry. I don't have percentages, but I would say the number of people who've told me just right off the gun that they don't know the Lord are probably, I'm guessing, less than 10 But Jesus gives to us the very first characteristic is that they must be saved. And folks, he's not just talking about people in general when he says that. He's talking about the leaders, the pastors, the evangelists. And then we could go on to the so-called apostles and the so-called prophets, which we don't have today, but there are people out there who are claiming that label. And folks, this means, this is not some trifle, okay, we agree with this, let's move on to the next qualification type of qualification. This is a warning to the people of God. Because there is, in that day, in New Testament days, and today, a multiplying of false teachers 
people who claim to be representing God and His Word to mankind. There's a multiplication of this. Folks, a man who knows the Lord means that that man has in his soul the living knowledge of God. He has the life of God in his soul. It doesn't mean that he quotes Bible verses. Lost people can quote Bible verses. I've told this story before, but years and years ago, and I won't go into the details on how this happened, but I got invited to visit a man and he was uh, in, not in this area, but he was in another area and he was in a psych ward. And I went to go meet him. Of course, he would be over on the other partition. I would be there. And I remember distinctly, I was a little nervous about going in. I was really praying to the Lord to make my light bright and really have an influence here. And I remember, you know, checking in at the desk and they said, oh, okay. And I remember we went through a door. It was just me. I went through a door. I remember the lady had a little key thing, a key fob, and she put it in the door. We walked through the door, and I remember hearing the door close behind me and lock. And that made me nervous. And after a little while, we came to another door. We're going into the inner places. I went through. We went, and she put the fob out. Click, door opened, went through that door, door closed, click. I thought, now I'm behind two (laughs) locked doors. And if I recall correctly, we went through a third. I went through a third locked door. And I walked into this door, and it was the inner the inner room. Inside there was the nursing station, inside of that, and it was in a circle. And there were just people walking, kind of zombie-like. There were just people walking around this circle. And when I walked through that door, they stopped and they looked at me. And they backed up. And I knew that the Lord was with me. But here's the thing. I listened to them and they were walking around quoting Bible verses. The man that I went to go see, and I'm not exaggerating, could quote more Bible verses than I could. And the man by Scripture was as lost and as lost as could be. Just because you can quote Bible verses does not mean that you have the life of God in your soul. Just because 
An under-shepherd can preach motivating messages. Does not mean that that man is of the Lord. The Bible speaks of itching ears. False teachers know how to scratch your ear. It doesn't mean that that person, quote, knows their Bible so well that they've discovered the hidden key to the Christian life and everything's just going to, you know, be above the clouds of sin after that. No such thing. A person can pray and be lost. Am I right or wrong? What you want to see in that man is the life of God. The living knowledge of God. The living knowledge of God in that man's soul. And folks, one of the ways that you know that is by listening to the voice. You'll notice in verse 3, to him the porter opens and the sheep hear his voice. That is, a shepherd, under shepherd, who enters in by the door. They hear his voice. And if you look at verse 4, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse 5, they don't know the voice of strangers. Well, what voice are they hearing? Look down at verse 16. Other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear whose voice? My voice. So, in other words, folks, what you're hearing through this under-shepherd is the accurate reflection of the voice of the good shepherd. And that voice has been written down in words that we have in our hands called the Bible. And this is why 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16 says that a true God-called under-shepherd gives himself, he gives his energies to the doctrine, and he meditates therein so that he himself can be saved and his hearers. Do we hear that? In other words, folks, this is not some trifle little, okay, let's mark that off. The person says they're saved. It's okay. Why would I say that? Well, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew and turn to chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. This is toward the end of the sermon, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he's concluding this sermon. And isn't it interesting that at the beginning of our Lord's ministry, he talks about false teachers and false prophets. He talks about a straight gate. He talks about a wide gate. He talks about a broad way. He talks about the narrow way. 
Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Do do they appear as a sheep? Do they have a profession of faith? Yes, they are saying they are of God. Beware of that. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but on the inside, they are ravening wolves. Well, how can I know what's on the inside? You will know them by their fruits. Let's just step back right here and recover some teaching. The word fruits here is not talking about the size of their ministry. The word fruits here isn't talking about the prosperity of their ministry. We saw several months ago that the overwhelming number of times where fruit is referred to in our New Testament, it is referring to the fruit of the of the Spirit. Are they exhibiting supernatural fruit? In other words, is the Word of God dwelling richly in them, saving them, maturing them, and then you can see it. It comes out in their lives, in their preaching, in their interaction. Do they have love, joy, peace, goodness? How do they respond in affliction? Are they, John chapter 10, just going to be a hireling and flee away? Or do they care for the sheep? You will know them by their fruits because if they're a thorn bush, (laughs) you know what a thorn bush is, right? You stick your hand in, yeah. If they're a thorn bush, they're going to bear what? Thorns. Thorns. And folks, you making them an under-shepherd or you attending their ministry isn't going to change the fact that if they're a thorn bush, they're not going to turn into a grape vine. You marry a lost person, you're not going to turn them into a grape vine. And our Lord promises, verse 19 of Matthew 7, every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And that will remind you of John chapter 15. If you don't abide in the vine, you're going to wither and it's going to be gathered and cast into the, into the fire. Verse 20, wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. Verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now that that ought to be a little warning for us. Because a person says, I pray the sinner's prayer. Folks, you're not looking for what they prayed. You're looking to see if they are believers. (laughs) is the life of God in their soul. Because not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. I remember the first time I read that, as a believer, it scared me half to death. 
And I would say that would be a good sign <laughs> because people who do this normally aren't afraid. They just say, well, I'm okay. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, many, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in your name? And in your name cast out devils. And in your name done many wonderful works. Folks, they're not talking about what God has done in their life. They're talking about what they've done for God in their life. And our Lord will turn to them. Verse 23, Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. In other words, they live lawlessly even though they, quote, were doing good works for God. And folks, the Pharisees were lawless, were they not? Did they claim to follow the law? Yes. Did they preach the law? Yes. But they were lawless. They were like whitewashed sepulchres whose appearance was beautiful. But inwardly, they were dead. They were dead. They were full of corruption and death. Do you think this happens today? Do you think we're exempt from it? I don't think so. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, let's turn there for one other reference. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, now we're deep into the New Testament times. Our Lord is now in heaven. <clears throat> Churches have gone out. The gospel has reached the Gentiles. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we have a church here that is under siege. And it's under siege from men who claimed to be believers, but they were against the apostle and they were against his instruction. And they were attempting to discredit him because his appearance wasn't good. His preaching was ridiculous. And Paul turns and he tells these people, now I just want to let you know, it's not my appearance that matters it's not really my preaching, whether you think it's good or not. What matters is the content of what I'm teaching you and the fact I live it. I am what I preach. But it is easy for us to get our eyes on appearance. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 12, <clears throat> Paul, after affirming his love for this church, <clears throat> he says, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles. And notice there was more than one. Plural. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, plural, 
transforming themselves into the apostles of who? Of Christ. In other words, by appearance, by credentials, by nothing wrong with college degrees and seminary degrees, but by college degrees and seminary degrees and by people giving their testimony on how great they were, by all appearances, they look like apostles of Christ. And Paul says, verse 14, don't marvel at this because they are nothing more than nothing less of a reflection of Satan himself. Because Satan does this, verse 14. And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, since Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light, therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers. Everybody see that? Folks, are there God-called ministers? There are Satan-called ministers. They're in the ministry because they have a feeling to be in the ministry. They have a, they're in the ministry because they had a dream to be in the ministry. They have, they're in the ministry because they think they're good, helpful, trying to help people being in the ministry. Therefore, it's no great thing if His ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Their works are thorny. Though they may have great numbers. If I can be so bold, Joel Olstein is not a God-called minister. He is a minister of Satan. How do I know that? I've heard his voice, and it's a strange voice. Does he have people attending his ministry? And he's probably doing some quote unquote good works. Probably helping the sick, helping the poor, trying to help people out of their bad conditions so they can live their best life when now. He's a false teacher. And folks, we read for our Scripture reading 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, and Peter says, there's going to be false teachers among you. The church will never be at a state under the sun in this sin-struck world where they won't have to be on guard for this. And we won't turn to it, but 1 John chapter 4, the first six verses tell God's people, put to test the Spirit because many false teachers have gone out into the world. And folks, one of the ways that John brings out that we can know is this. These people are of the world So the world hears them. 
And then John writes, we, that is the apostles, we are of God. He that is of God hears our words. It's the apostolic doctrine that we have in our hands by which we try preaching. And I've mentioned this many, many, many times. Many cases, it's not what they say, it's what they omit. It's what they won't preach on. They won't tell people you're going to die in your sins. They won't tell people that they're going to hell. They won't tell people that Jews, if they're not born again, they're not of the Lord. They won't say any of that. Why? Why? It harms their financial giving. They don't want to ostracize anybody because it's all about greed for them. Greed and sensuality and rebellion, Peter says, are the characteristics of false teachers. So folks, first of all, when we go back to John chapter 10, what do we need to know about a true under-shepherd? They have to enter in by the door into the sheepfold, and the door is Christ. Any other way, they're what? Thief and a robber. Secondly, if you look in John chapter 10 and verse 3, you'll notice, to Him, that is, the under-shepherd who enters in by the door, To him, the porter opens the door. And the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. J.C. Ryle, who I quoted a couple of weeks ago, wrote about verse 3. I love this little brief sentence. It says, Christ is my door. Through Christ, I win your heart. So he's talking about the congregation. He's talking about believers, right? Christ is my door. Through that door, does the porter open the door? The porter opens the door into the sheepfold. Through the door... I win your heart. Through Christ, I win your heart. And folks, that is so true. A true under-shepherd has access into the very wisdom and riches of God. He can take the Scripture accurately, contextually, grammatically, historically. He can understand those words by the illumination of the Holy Spirit and he can take those riches and unfold them to the people of God. That's the voice he's giving to them. And folks, not only does he have access to this wonderful treasure, the Lord gives that man, that under-shepherd, access 
into the very heart of the people that are hearing Him. That's one of the benefits of a long-term pastorate is that the people have come to understand that that pastor is giving to them the words of God. And they open their heart to it. Why? They know His voice. They know His voice. I brought a book here this morning written by John Bunyan. I recommended this to you before. If you haven't read it, you need to read it. If for nothing else, it is the classic Christian book. And in this book, many of you are aware that Christian comes out of the city of destruction. He's saved. He enters in by the door. (laughs) Okay. And his burden falls off, his burden of sin falls off when he views the one hanging at Calvary. And it rolls down the hill to be seen no more. Right after that, the path takes him to a house. It is the house of a man whose name is Interpreter. We would know that man as the Holy Spirit. And he enters into that house... And he gives his credentials. He says to him, I am a man that has come from the city of destruction and I'm going to Mount Zion. And I was told by the man that stands at the gate that you, the interpreter, would show me excellent things that would be a help on my journey. Interpreter turns to Christian and he says, Come in, and I will show you what will be profitable to you. So he tells Christian, light a candle. And said, follow me. He takes Christian into a private room, and there was a man there at the door, and interpreter tells the man to open the door. And they enter into that room and Christian describes, John Bunyan describes what Christian saw. I saw a picture of a very gray person hanged up against the wall. And this was the fashion of it. He had his eyes lifted up to heaven. The best of books in his hand. The law of truth was written upon his lips. The world was behind his back. It stood as if it pleaded with men, and a crown of gold did hang over its head. So you got that picture in your mind? And Christian turns to the interpreter and says, What does this mean? An interpreter says this, The man whose picture this is, is one of a thousand. He can beget children, 
travail in birth with children, nurse them himself when they are born. And whereas you see him with eyes lifted up to heaven, and the best of books in his hand, and the law of truth written on his lips, it is to show you that his work is to know and unfold dark things to sinners. Even as also you see him stand as if he pleaded with men, and whereas you see the world is cast behind him, and that a crown hangs over his head, this is to show you that he is slighting and despising the things that are present for the love that he has for his master's servant. And he is sure in the world that comes next to have glory for his reward. That's a true under-shepherd. Now you read something like that and you say, Lord, help. But it is true. It's His work to be in the Scriptures, to unfold things to sinful people and to the people of God. It is to be found in stewards that a man be found faithful with his stewardship. Folks, that's what it means when it says that the porter opens the door into the sheepfold. And what does he do? He calls and leads God's people. Verse 3, To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, <clears throat> for they know his voice, and a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And I mentioned this before. He's not giving his own opinions. He's seeking to reflect the voice of the good shepherd to the sheep. And the sheep recognize that preaching. There's different levels of giftedness of a true under-shepherd. There's different strengths and weaknesses in a true under-shepherd. But the common thing is, both of those men are striving with all their might to give themselves to the doctrine, to meditate therein, so that His growth will be evident to those who are hearing Him, and that they may grow up in all things in Christ. That's a true under-shepherd. And folks, the only way that you're going to be able to determine whether a man is a true under-shepherd or not is if you know the voice of the great shepherd. You've got to know the Bible. You've got to know your word. It can't be your feelings or how you feel or whatever. It can't be your intuition. It has to be the Scripture. Now that's the characteristics of a true under-shepherd. What are some of the characteristics of a sheep? I have two. Number one, true sheep need a shepherd. 
Folks, if sheep didn't need a shepherd, then there would be no reason for the Lord to open the door into the sheepfold and give them under-shepherds. There would be no reason for the shepherd in heaven to give gifts unto men. Evangelist missionary, pastor teacher. If we didn't need that, we wouldn't need it. But we do need it. And we live in a nation, and we, we struggle with this ourselves, we live in a nation that is so individualistic. It's about me, myself, and I. Or it's me, myself, and I, and my family. That we hardly ever think, yes, it's me that needs an under-shepherd. I had a man tell me one time, he said, well... He said, I can read the same books you read. I can read the same commentaries you read. I can get the same degree that you read. You, you've got... I can do all that. I, I don't have to have a pastor over me. Yeah, but here's what he left out. The illumination and giftedness of the Holy Spirit do that function. One of the things about an under-shepherd isn't that he's just spewing out facts. He has learned how to use the facts, the truth, to be a help to God's people. And sometimes, and you know this, sometimes you can tell someone, here's the reason, here's the verses, and they hear you and they walk off. And then you, you can have someone gifted some man in the ministry come by, say the exact same things, and what happens? The person says, oh, I got it. I've never heard that before. That's happened in preaching. I've actually been preaching a series, brought in an evangelist or something, they come in and say the exact same thing, and people are like, I've never heard that. I was like, well, what happened? Seed was sown, Seed was watered. <laughs> and in the presence of two or three witnesses, let every word be what? Be established. True sheep need a shepherd. And folks, to pick a shepherd isn't to do what Samuel thought to do. When he looked at David's sons, he said, surely this has got to be the one. God says, I didn't pick that one. He goes to the next oldest. Surely that one's got to be the one. God says, I didn't pick that one. He goes through all the sons of Jesse. And God says, I, I didn't pick that one. And, and Samuel's like, hey Jesse, do you have any other sons? And he's like, oh yes. I got this teenager up there keeping sheep. Samuel says, well, bring him here. And you know what God tells Samuel, don't he? He says, I don't judge by outward appearance. That's how they picked Saul. He was the tallest, most muscular. He was the guy. 
He says, I don't choose by outward appearance. I make my choice by looking at their heart. What was so special about David's heart? Well, he was a sinful human being like we are, yes. But what was in his heart? He was a man after whose heart? God's heart. And that's what you want. They won't be perfect. They may not be good looking. They may not be social media attractive. But you want their heart to be panting after the Lord. And then secondly, genuine sheep have a hearing ear and a following foot. You'll notice that it says in verse 3, the sheep hear His voice. Verse 4, the sheep follow Him for they know His voice. They know the Good Shepherd through the words of the Under Shepherd. They have a hearing ear and a following foot. Now it's not perfect, it's not sinless, but that's their heart's desire. You have a person and they will not hear, they will not follow. They are suspect. Folks, the Word of God gives to us the characteristics of a true under-shepherd and a true sheep. Now here's the problem. Satan is deceitful. He is more deceitful than you are wise. He's more cunning than you think you are. And the Bible gives to us three things that these false teachers do, and I'm just going to give you the reference and then I'll tell you what they are. We won't turn to them for lack of time. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 3 and 18, that these false teachers fabricate words. and appeal to your vanity. They fabricate words and appeal to your vanity. And we all have something in us that loves vanity, don't we? They used to call the little mirrors that ladies would go and put on the makeup. They would call them vanities. (laughs) We don't do that anymore. But, but there's a lesson in that, isn't it? <clears throat> they have fabricated words. In Jude, verses 16 and 17, they have words that appeal 
to men's ego. So do you hear what they're appealing to? They're appealing to that sinful nature that's in all of people, every, every person on earth. And in Romans chapter 16 and verse 18, it says, they give good words and fair speeches. So can they preach? And folks, here's the thing. Here's what they do. They use Bible words, but not Bible meanings. Like you may hear them say, well, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but they don't define Son of God as deity. They define Son of God like Adam was a Son of God. But if you just heard that, if you just heard someone say, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you would say what? Good. Great. But the way they define things are different. This is how people get into Bible colleges and they have to sign a creed. I believe this creed. And they sign it, I believe it, but they don't define those words the way the school defines those words. Folks, it's thievery and robbery. When Christian heard interpreter give the description of this portrait of this man, Interpreter turned to Christian, and this is what he said to Christian, and I'm saying it to you. Interpreter said, I have showed you this picture first because the man whose picture this is is the only man whom the Lord of the place where you are going has authorized to be your guide. in all the difficult places that you may meet in the way. Therefore, give good heed to what I have showed you and bear well in your mind what you have seen, lest in your journey you will meet some that pretend to lead you right, but their way goes down to death. I've showed you this picture first so that you may know whom the Lord of the place where you are going has authorized to be your guide. Let's pray.